listening to The Enlightened Working Class, where two middle-aged London-born and bred men discuss a whole range of issues relating to society, money, sport, race, gender, politics, the universe and everything else under the sun from a working class perspective. With me, Pasco Sawyers and... Me, Duncan McDowell. Hello, Duncan, and uh, welcome. Welcome to you, Pascal. That's very kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> right, uh, how, how, how's your week been, mate? What have you been up to? It's been up and down, Pascal. To be it? honest, yeah, I've been okay. I've been having health problems. Have you, you? Know. Yeah, you know about these. <laughs> you know about these. Oh, let it go, Dunk. Uh, every time I train now, the blood, as soon as the blood gets going, my head swells up. I get a rash all over the body. Okay. The omen effect, I call it, <laughs> after being cut out of those promotional pictures right, the, right. the head missing all right, i'm sorry about that dunk I, I thought you'd be over it but obviously not anyway i think um uh, i'll tell you a bit about my weekend uh, and hopefully you'll get us into the subject of health in the widest sense um, oh, i've seen i've seen your week passes plastered all over social media your triumph in the 5k run amazing <laughs> stuff you're trying to say i'm a social media tart dunk i'm trying to say you're a warrior tougher the track you're alf tupper do you remember him Leave nothing on the track, Dunk, that's me. Leave nothing. Anyway, uh, let's get back to the uh, subject. Uh, so, uh, a couple of days ago, I went to see this play, Nine Night. Uh, are we back on death, are we? Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. So, Nine Night is a traditional Jamaican uh, celebration. Nine nights after the death of whoever. And it's an amazing story about this Caribbean tradition written by the history-making Natasha Gordon, the first black British woman to have a play staged in the West End. And what a play it was. You're looking a bit quizzical about that. I thought I'd heard of her. Did she write something about Malcolm X? No, it's her first ever play. No, Michael X. Was it? No? No, it's no? her first play. So she's a young woman. She's a young playwright. And, and you know, I, I, was, I was really fortunate on the night that I went to see it. They actually did a Q&A, the cast did afterwards. So you got to find out a lot more of the behind the scenes and the kind of history of how it came together. National Theatre, she just, she just put it forward. It got picked up. Uh, nine edits later, it actually made it to the stage. Uh, yeah, yeah. Studios, absolutely amazing, wonderful. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm a big theatre goer. Uh, I've been going to the theatre probably three times or so a year since I was about 15. From the days of Miss Morgan at school taking us oh, to the theatre. Oh, you're an actor. I forgot. And uh, I'm a bit of a thespian as well. And, I, can, I can, you know, and a bit of a lovey. Yeah, um, my, my um, the Godfather, my daughter was in that play. Pass. That's right, Carl Collins. Yes, very good. Excellent. He played uh, Vince, yeah. old bloke. And funny enough, I was with some people last night and they were saying about that performance, they were saying that he actually looked too young to be playing that part because he was like playing an old boy. But what was the bloke, the person who said that to me, what was most fascinating about it is that his wife, who would have been in her 70s, when they came out after for the Q&A, she was actually probably in her 20s. Yeah, was he about 48, something like that? Yeah, probably about our kind of age. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but he, was playing a, a, he was playing an old bloke, an old Jamaican bloke, you know, bit of rum, a little smoke. No. impressed with the play yeah oh, I was very impressed very impressed with the play um, go and see it I mean it's finished now but I'm sure it'll be back and it's, it's absolutely uh, it's a masterpiece I'm amazed I didn't get the call from him amazed yeah I know you need to give him a ring dunk I thought he said he was your mate I said I said, I said to the um, I said to my daughter I said I heard Carl's uh, back in London he's in a play she said yeah I've seen it so his mum I thought wow <laughs> <laughs> All right. so on the way out there. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. Um, anyway, on my way to uh, to see Nai Nai, I met my daughter, one of the daughters, and uh, we we went to Pizza Hut a nice a bit, you know, polit 
politically incorrect, probably. But anyway, we did go into Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Whoa, no, not bad. Like, not yeah, bad. I'm, I'm in the health, dunk. I'm in the health. It's not. It's not. It's not cool. You're a runner. Yeah, I know. Track star. Anyway. Uh, while we was doing that, we was in there, and I don't know if you know or not, but I am a weekday vegan at the moment. I'm trying to, you know, think about my health. Uh, at the weekend, I sort of slack off a little bit, a little bit of cheese and that. But, uh, yeah, I know. Anyway, Disgraceful. we was in there, and uh, while I was sitting there waiting to order, I saw this menu, meat, question mark, jacket in. And what they had on offer was a vegan pizza with the kind of star ingredient, jackfruit. And, and I knew about this jackfruit thing being a sort of substitute for meat. Uh, I saw it on Jamie Oliver's programme, mm. right? I know. But I just had to be No, 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 there no. I'm, I'm all in favour. And, and what, it, what they've done on that particular programme, they went to Forest Green Rovers. So they're the only vegan club in the country. <laughs> really? You know no. I think they're in League Two. Where, where, where's Forest Green? I, I have no idea. Is it, is it somewhere in the Midlands, East Midlands or somewhere mm. like that? I don't know. But anyway, they're... All vegan. All the players are vegan. You come there to, to eat. You, you can only have vegan pies, vegan everything. And they spoke to the chef, who was a, a young lady, and she was making this whatever stew or something for the pie. And it was like using jackfruit as a as a um, as a meat substitute. And I was sort of fascinated by that. You know, this sort of tropical fruit being used as a meat. And, and I, I thought one day I'll get around to trying it, and I never did. So it was great to have an opportunity to try it in Pizza Hut on their pizza. I've got to say the pizza weren't that great. To, to, be, to be fair. A bit bland. It was very bland. And they had uh, like cheese substitutes. Well, I don't know what that was made of. Maybe rubber, but it weren't good. What about this forest green? Are they any good? Uh, they're in League Two, Dunk. So they can't be that great. But it's a great principle, isn't it? It's a lovely principle. Supposing you you turn, you're going to, you want to play for them and you're, and you're not a, a vegan. Well, you don't get to play for them. Really? Yeah. It's a bit harsh, isn't it? It's a bit harsh. It's simple. They don't want you. Supposing, supposing you, 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 after the game, you go and have a few beers and you, you slip and you on the way home you have a kebab. What do you reckon? Not playing next week on the subs bench? I reckon it's a disciplinary issue, Dunk. No, absolutely. I yeah. agree. If I was the manager, I'd crack down. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, look, we're digressing. The point is, there is a vegan club. I'm a weekday vegan, and uh, and I just wondered what your thoughts were on uh, on veganism because I think it's a it's obviously a growing thing. It's in the news a lot, and uh, and I'm not doing it because it's in the news. I'm just interested that it's gaining traction. It's, it's very interesting since you since you proposed this subject, um, how attuned you become to social media. I'm driving to work. I'm listening to programs on um, on plant based food, on veganism, vegetarianism, etc. It's apparently all the top all the top chefs now. A specialising in plant-based food, um, it seems to me it's the way forward. And I'll tell you what, funnily enough, about a year ago, I invested in a plant plant-based food company. Did you? Yeah, in the in the cryptocurrency world, right. uh, Korean they were, and they were going to concentrate on making plant-based food for um, the the eastern market. And then expanding, unfortunately, it's a bit of a crypto crash. And <laughs> right, I, think, okay. I think my investment may have disappeared. I haven't heard from him for a bit. Right. But I thought, you know what? I thought at the time, I thought this is really forward looking. And they're talking about rising population um, and how we can man manufacture food, um, different types of food, looking at it from a scientific point of view. Hmm. And I thought, well, this is the way forward. So I know today for our subject, what is our subject, by the way? Veganism, Dunk. Veganism. We got any questions around it, um, like a, a statement? Well, not really. I mean, I, I think I just want to start off by um, by acknowledging 
the fact that this is a new thing in inverted commas because in in many ways it is and um and it is new for me and i'm doing it for health reasons um i think uh, but actually i've been a vegetarian for a long time and 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 i'm i'm quite amazed at how often you say to people well i'm a vegetarian well actually i think i'm a is it a pescatarian fish eater yeah yeah but um, but i'm moving away from that i'm i'm giving up all of that but for me, being a vegetarian for over 30 years, um, it's quite interesting to see how how people are now transitioning from that to um, to being a vegan. And for me, actually become the vegetarian, I didn't do it for any political reason, because I think meat is murder or because I cared about the population, nothing like that. It was pure and simply because I didn't like meat. I didn't like the taste of meat. And in my household, and I'd say a lot in my community, because I, I was at an event yesterday and, and I was queuing up for the food at a funeral, actually, queuing up for the fu- food. And I said, can I have the vegetarian option? And I could almost hear people sniggering in the background. Really? Yeah. And that, and, that, and that's what it was like in my family, like my brothers, my mum, my dad, in my immediate family, everyone's so carnivorous. And when I was growing up on a Sunday, for example, you know, and in the Caribbean, you have all these great um, and, and exotic and strangely named meat dishes, you know, from curry goat to cow foot, oxtail, lamb neck soup, tripe, souse. You know any of these, Dunk? I know all of them, Pat. Exactly. What's, <laughs> right. the, what's the one I like? Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It'll come to me as we go along. Yeah, well... I like, I like the name of it, actually. I don't know about... Well, the names are sometimes as good as the, uh, the flavour, but I've never really liked meat. So on a Sunday, I just imagine, I used to have this vision of me sort of just getting up one day and declaring... I'm a veggie, I don't want meat. And I, and I have this vision of, it, it, there were less enlightened days uh, than we are now. And I just imagine it being safer if I'd have just got up on that Sunday around the dinner table and said I was a transvestite. I'd have probably raised less kind of eyebrows from my parents. I can imagine me saying, I don't eat meat and everyone just stopping and the world stopping. It's like, duh, duh, duh. Anyway, when I went off to be a student um, in Leicester, I was living on my own for the first time and I actually used to go out and buy meat and cook meat because I knew how to cook it and then throw it away for a period. And it, and it just sort of told me how how ingrained this thing was in me. And it was while I was away and eventually I just came to the point, why am I doing this? This is just ridiculous. And that's actually the point at which I actually became a vegetarian or, or a pescatarian or whatever the word is. And, and I only had a little bit of fish. And I don't like meaty fish, so I used to just have a little bit of tuna maybe, which I now know is a really bad fish to have, by the way. Why is that? Mercury, mate. Not Lots of mercury is just not good for you. And Top of the food chain. Yeah, well, there's, you know, I think there are a lot of issues about meat, and um, and I think it's something that people should be should be discussing. I think it's something that we really should put on the agenda for people to talk about and think about and be be more aware of as an issue. Yeah. Yes. So, what do you think? My, you know, strangely enough, I know I'm cast as the protagonist today. My brother's a vegetarian. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yes, but I, but I would Good say, work, Pete. yeah, I would say it, in his case, it wasn't for for. What food tastes like? It was for for ethical issues. Oh right. Um, which which I think is is a big thing in the vegan movement. Um, you know, he, he was also always a cat lover, and I saw him recently, and I said, "How are the cats?" He said, "I've got rid of them all. I've had to put so many birds out of their misery over the years that they've attacked. I can't bear to do it." Right. Um, so yeah, but it's a, a animal cruelty issue. Um, where, where do you sit on all this? I mean, could you imagine? I, I, I was thinking, Dunk, actually, I'm a, a big cheese fan. I, actually, I absolutely love a bit of cheddar, bit of cheddar, right? 
but you're the person who got me into it. I remember going to your house when we were little and you'd like have a big lump of cheese and like big thick bread and you'd like, you wouldn't make a like a nice petite kind right. of fancy sandwich. It's like a big lump of cheese. You just like bang it on and you just, and then I started doing that with a cup of tea. I am so ashamed of myself. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm not I, trying, I, I'm I, am, a, I am ashamed. My brother, who was, is very sensitive by nature, um, and there's loads of foods he wouldn't eat. And it was my job in the, in the, my mother would never throw anything away, ever. No food. And I would have to eat all the rotten, rotten food and things like that. I'd eat rotten bananas, that, dunk, you know. Don't. Are you saying you give me rotten food when I found your house? The, the we cheese 15? was like, you know, this was something special. It didn't seem to go off. I'd even eat it with the, just cut the green bits off the end. You know, I'm not an example. I'm like a human dustbin. I'm like the, um, what was shark? The tiger shark. All right, I'm trying to. The tiger shark of my household. I'm starting to feel a bit, bit queasy. Listen, now. I didn't eat well as a, as, you know, you, we grew up in the 60s and 70s. I didn't eat well. If there wasn't school dinners, I would have been really malnourished. I'm telling you, I lived off hamburger sandwiches, cold meat pies. I was renowned for it. Corned beef. It, you know, it wasn't good. I couldn't even eat hardly any vegetables. I had some dodgy cabbage once when I was a kid, and all I could eat was peas. I buy all the fruits, and always, I've always eaten fruit, about every fruit you can well, what imagine. I, what I want to get into, because we, we, we're going to introduce something uh, different today, and I, I just want to, first of all, ask you the question, could you imagine yourself, because I am now, in my head, imagining myself in the near future being a real vegan, like, it, well, just in terms of what I eat, leather shoes maybe, leather jacket maybe, whatever. Well, it would, are you a real vegan then? Well, yeah, that's a good question, but, uh, but in, certainly in terms of food, I'm imagining myself being stop eating any animal food or any animal products, any dairy products, blah blah. Can you imagine that for yourself? And if not, why not? Well, I I, I believe that culture is learnt. Um, you're brought up with certain dishes. It's it's almost like religion. You grow up in a certain part of the world. You're going to eat certain types of food. We grew up in India. We'd be eating like rice-based food, stuff like that. Um, if culture can be learnt, it can be unlearnt. Um, if you're an enlightened member of the working class, that is. Yeah, so you are, Doug. Can you imagine yourself being a vegan? I ask you for the 15th time. Yeah, absolutely. You there's, could. There's two things in life that are in inevitable, Pask. Yeah. Death <laughs> and change. Right. Did you tell me that last week? <laughs> All right, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, okay. What we have with us today on the Enlightened Working Class is a guest. Our first guest. Our first guest. What a joy. Our inaugural guest. Can you be an inaugural guest? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sounds good, doesn't it? And he goes by the name of uh, Graham Neal. Hello there, gentlemen. Thank you for welcoming me on board. It's and, lovely to be here. And and he's a member of the Vegan Society. No, he's on the board of the Vegan Society. Uh, he's true. The Vegan Society is a trustee founded in... Uh, 1944. Oh, 1944, Donald Watson. And uh, yeah, I'm a trustee of that charity. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, um, so we brought you in because uh, we got a protagonist. Oh, me? Yes. Oh. On, the, on the panel, and uh, and we we wanted to talk about this subject. And and actually, I, I do want to get a little bit serious because I think apart from just the issues about whether you like meat as a taste, um, whether meat is good for you or not, so I think those are two issues. I think there's a bigger issue about. Um, Society, addiction, control, power, money, 
big pharma. There's a lot of gender politics as well in 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 the meat industry. I had spotted that one. Yeah, the way that they treat the female animals, the way that the, the female cow, for example, has to be made to become pregnant. It doesn't just fall pregnant. It's not like Mr. and Mrs. Cow just go to the corner of the field and he picks a daisy for her and they make a little baby cow. There's a whole industrial process that makes the cow pregnant before she can produce milk. It's not a very nice subject to start on, but yeah, the the uh, yeah, like I say, it's not like Mr. and Mrs. Cow just go to the corner of the field and make a little ca- yeah. little calf. It, that's it, true. It's, it's a mechanical you know, I mean, thing. I see, it's an industrial sort of thing. thing. You know, I, I think it does sort of stretch your mind. I mean, you know, the idea of drinking cow's milk or giving cow's milk even to your baby, like your baby's not a calf, and it's it's these kind of thoughts that have led me down this road of um, thinking about why am I having this stuff? Because it tastes nice. Uh, let, let me. Last time I had, had meat, I think when I was coming out as a Pasco, you were talking about your family, and you, and then Duncan, you were talking about sort of cultural values and trying to come out to your family as a vegetarian, as was back in the day. Uh, the last time I ate meat was a Christmas meal, and I'd been vegetarian for most of that year. I went back to my mum's for Christmas, had some turkey, didn't really enjoy it. Went away because I wasn't living at home. I'd, be, I'd moved out out of the house many years prior to that. And then the following Christmas, I went back and I sat down to eat and I just thought, oh, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Mum, it's like this, right? I've been vegetarian for well, some time now, so if you don't mind, I'll just have the vegetables and not the turkey. And I really felt a moment when I... And, of course, Mum was cool about it. She, you know, she loved me and we're, we, she's quite happy for me to eat what, what I want and what I didn't want. But for me, culturally... Like, like you were saying, it just seemed to be like, oh, what am I going to come up against here? And the fear of, of it was actually worse than the actuality. But, yeah, that was the last time I ate meat. And funnily enough, I, I can remember it really quite clearly, that Christmas meal. And then the following year, saying, OK, enough's enough. But it took me 12 months to get up the balls to, to say to my mum, actually, I'm vegetarian. So, so Graham, Pasco's said that he's come to um, um, a near-vegan lifestyle because he doesn't like the taste of meat. Is that right? No, that's where it starts. But then there's a health thing as well. I think yeah. I'm, I'm taking on all this stuff, all these injections, these hormones. Like he says, Mrs. Yeah. Cow. I'm not comfortable. Is, is your journey the same? Yeah, similar. I mean, once you start, I mean, there's as many different reasons of being vegan as there are vegans. But once you start, inevitably you get exposed to other things. So for me, I realised that in order to feed people, you've got to grow food to feed them, or you can f- you can give that food to animals and then eat the animals and when I looked at it it just seemed daft to be growing food to give to an animal and then eating the animal when this, when there's pressure on, on land use these are domestic animals uh, yeah cows, domesticate, yeah, 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 cattle yeah. etc yeah no I'm not talking about wildlife like rabbits or you know things no, that live off game. the land game. Yeah, no, no I'm not, not talking about game but then as I was as I read about it and, and a key thing was like during the height of the Ethiopian famine and sorry if you've heard this before I know that people that, that know me and that have spoken to me about this will have heard this story. But the height of the Ethiopia, you know, Band-Aid and all that, at the height of the famine, Ethiopia was exporting grain to Europe to feed to dairy cows. Now, I'm sure we've all enjoyed, like, milk on our cornflakes and whatever, and it's nice, but it ain't that nice when you re- start relating it to starving children on, on, on the TV screens. So, like, what's, what's, I, I, that was something that I really didn't want to be dealing with. And I knew that I could make a change like many years after the Ethiopian famine. But that stayed with me, that, those images. I'm sure you all know what images I'm talking about. And I just sort of thought, I really don't want to be taking food out of, out of someone's mouth 
so that we can feed it to a, a domesticated a stock animal and then use that stock animal for, for beef or, or for, for dairy products. So um, that, that was a big, big, big part of my change. I mean, I didn't know that, that they were exporting the grain. I mean, it seems pretty similar to the, um, to the Irish famine, where, again, the, 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 the crops that were grown were being exported while the, the peasant was living on the potato, yeah. Um, yeah. which I think was, you know, that was one-eighth of the population. Died I mean, I mean food politics is more complicated than that, and that's a very simplistic no, sort of thing. And I'll give, you, I'll give you that. If you want to argue that back to me, yeah, you know, perhaps I'm oversimplifying yeah, well, it. Well, I didn't think, but, I, t- to be honest, I didn't think um, Ethiopia were a big grain export well, worldwide, I thought America was yeah, Russia. That's that's one level. The point about um, feeding animals food that that humans could be eating, and it almost seems like you're adding uh, a level in the food chain that don't need to be there. But I think more to the point for me um, is this idea of now once you start getting into that, and you start getting into notions of battery hen farming, where you're literally making animals to make them chicken burgers. And you've got to make them as quickly as possible, get them killed, get them whatever. So you're injecting them with with hormones to make them grow faster. I mean, I just think that I have a real problem with that. Well, I I think there'd be a a major difference in our diet if we had to kill our own our own food absolutely um well i say kill we're talking about animals here i'm not talking about killing plants um though maybe we might talk about that but but going back to what you were saying pasco again there's this gender politics like the male chick is no use to the egg producer so the male chick has got a very short life as soon as it's sexed like two days or three days or something it goes into a mincer and it it might end up in a pie or it might end up being um, like fertilizer but uh, the, you only need the, the female chicks because only the females are, are capable of laying, laying eggs. Mm. And I, I, I fear that what you're talking about, the uh, hormone use, I think in the EU it's more restricted. In the US, mm-hmm. I think there's greater use of, um, of, of animal hormone, growth hormones. Yeah. But let's not forget that half of all the antibiotics in the world are used in animal husbandry. Yeah. So there's a, there's this big narrative, and I, I, again, again, I watch it on the television, listen to it on the radio. Oh, you've got to finish your course of antibiotics and and make sure and anti you know, doctors are prescribing too many uh, antibiotics and don't take antibiotics if you've just got a cold yeah. and blah blah blah. Well, we're eating them in our um, McDonald's burger. Yeah, and and vets are, are, are like are using them like like I say, fifty percent of of all antibiotic use across the world is going into stock animals and farm animals. Absolutely agree with you. However. The, um, the point you would make would be um, if we weren't eating animals, domestic animals, there wouldn't be any domestic animals. The chicken is um, a descendant of the guinea fowl running wild in the forest. We wouldn't have the, the, the cow is from, from wild cows, but we wouldn't have them in the country. There wouldn't be any animals. Um, so we'd either treat them badly or those domestic animals will not exist. England's green and pleasant land. You won't wander around and go, oh, there's a Frisian cow, a Jersey cow, this sort of thing. Wouldn't happen, or well, even in my case, a belted Galloway. You have heritage for you. <laughs> you have um, you have like rare breed. Uh, they're not museums. What are they like? Rare breed um, sort of farms where they keep just a couple of uh, like a breeding pair. Of, yeah, yeah. Of rare breeds, but um, otherwise, Frisians and and those Holsteins really haven't got much use in the wild. They wouldn't last. For, well, they wouldn't last very long in the wild. Would well, they, they wouldn't last very long in the wild in the West because. We don't have wild animals. We've got nothing that is any um, any danger to man here. Britain was once the wildwood. We've got no wolves. Yes. We've got no bears native to this country. 
Um, so, Duncan, I've got to get back to you. Why don't we have any wildlife? Why don't we have any wild forests? Well, because they've been cut down. And why have they been cut down? You could say they've been cut down for farming. And they, for, exactly, that's my point. That's where I'm going. And we've we got a situation where people cut down forests, not to grow crops, but simply so that they can drift stock animals across them. Now, really, or, or they could plant fields. Well, that's my point. They, they, could, they, could, they could grow vegetables. But if they grew they're still cutting the trees down, though, aren't they? Yeah, but if they were to grow vegetables, you'd only need like one-tenth of the land in order to produce the same amount of uh, protein weight by weight. So instead of having a field that's 10 acres growing cows, you could have a field that's one acre growing vegetables. Yeah. And you could, leave the, you could leave the other nine acres to, 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 for, for like wild, for, for sort of climax vegetation or for forestation. Then you'd have the guinea fowls, then you would have, have the wild animals and, and the, the nature that you and I love. And, and, and our whole perception of, of the countryside would be more about the sort of wild woodlands and, and nature as was before it was, before it was deforested. Yeah, you, well, you, you could certainly, well, you could possibly have that in the UK, but what about in countries um, that, that aren't so great for crop production? What, what what about there? What about like the desert areas or the extreme yeah, cold? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's a, there's a real. I mean, obviously they're they're like the Inuit or whatever. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna start telling Inuit man that he's got to stop eating seal or whale or or fish or or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I'm just talking about my life and and where or I reindeer. am. Or reindeer. Or right, yeah, or rain, reindeer for um, whoever it is that eats reindeer. Mm. But um, there is a problem though with mar marginal land, and I know that there's there's a, there's a big scheme to plant in sub-Saharan. Uh, sub-Saharan Africa to plant lots of trees in order to sort of engender microclimates and, and, and to help sort of re-green those areas. But there's been a real problem with overgrazing where those marginal lands, of the, the, the sort of uh, bushes and scrub, instead of having a chance to sort of grow and sort of re retain green in those areas, have just been munched yep. by, by the, uh, the, grazing the, animals. There, there has also been, apart from overgrazing, there's been over-farming. Now you're farming certain crops that are not natural. They're not natural. Man is in control of what he plants. Um, these are hybrids, a lot of them, and some of them deplete the soil. I was looking at that. Uh, what's that? That 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 uh, city in the desert, Petra, like kind of Jordan area. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the Lost Ark. Yeah, yeah, Raiders the yeah. Lost Ark. But um, app apparently there, there were like s cedar trees, um, pine trees all around it, uh, agriculture, etc over farmed overgrazed, if you like and it is a desert now and and i think this is one of the issues affecting certain parts of the world um i think it was a somalia i was looking at or um ethiopia online they're growing the wrong crops using too much water it's not being used in the correct way and suddenly you've got um i've been struggling with this word for like about two days Desertification? Yeah, desertification, yeah, like yeah. When, when, when the land becomes like a desert. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I'm saying about do you want to grow grow food for people yeah. or grow food for, for animals to eat? Or, 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 or as you, the point you made before, just generally, I'd have thought if you, if you look at parts of Africa and parts of the Caribbean even, grow foods for export. And, and I want to just widen this out because I think there is a, the bigger point about... Um, about force reared animals ultimately it's about business yeah. it's about um it's about making money and i think this is something that we should be talking a lot more about trying to understand because uh, again just go back to my point about the damage that i think it might be doing to human beings and uh, and this is stuff which is no doubt going to become much clearer as we go on it just makes me think about the um the tobacco industry 
knowing for a long time the impact of tobacco and doing everything it possibly could to suppress that information, to manage that information, to pay off that information. And I can't help thinking, and I, I could be wrong here, I really don't think I am though, that as time goes by, we're gonna start to feel and hear a lot more about that that's happening with meat production, with cheese production, with all, all this stuff. And not only that, so I think there's the big business on that side of the fence, but I think there's also the big business on the pharmaceutical side of the fence. And it's almost, it's like just a horrible kind of win-win for them. You know, we feed them this crap and, and, and these antibiotics and these hormones and this bad food. And then we give them um, pharmaceuticals to cure them of the diabetes and the hypertension and the heart disease. And I think, you know, as a society and, and, and you know, appealing to our working class audience largely, you know, I think we should be starting to think about this kind of thing because we are... Um, at the brunt we are almost at the bottom of that food chain and uh, I just think you know again this 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 um, puts sharp focus on the, the notion of veganism and thinking about this stuff differently all right well let's let's return to one of our recurrent themes um, poor people in London what are they eating it used to be you go to the fish and chip shop you get a bag of chips but now it's a chicken shop yeah. chicken shops everywhere but the middle classes aren't eating that. No. They've got farmers' markets. You're coming in. You're paying. You're paying maybe like three times more for your meat or fish or whatever. Less antibiotics. vegetables. Um, you know, so obviously it's 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 a question of poverty. I think I think one um, of the real the real changes this year. I think early 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 in January was when Greg the Baker's. I mean Greg's, yeah. which is about as we use the term working class, about as working class as blue collar as you could possibly get. And Greg's the Baker's started selling vegan sausage rolls. The whole world just turned upside down when you can get a vegan sausage roll in Greg's the Baker's. What, what do you think about a vegan sausage roll? I mean, from a recipe perspective? No, from the, a, in the sense for flavour perspective. All right. So as a food critic, for me, too salty. The, I, I the don't bite, mean the Greg's one. I mean in principle. All right. Because um, you, you, you're, you're having... You, you've got plants that are tasting like meat. All right. Um, is that necessary? So we're because they can do all sorts of things now, can't they? Yeah. But, um, that, but that's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Again, just going back to my thing about uh, which I don't think I particularly use this word. I can't remember. But addiction. So cheese, you know, masses of salt, um, you know, all of these things, you can get addicted to them, can't you? And then your taste buds become like, yeah, I love this. It's delicious. It's got flavour. So, again, I'm not sure that... Well, I mean, the biggest culprit is the fast food industry. We all, we all know that. Um, with this, so, I mean, I don't, to be honest, I don't eat McDonald's. I don't eat, you know, from these chicken places or anything like that. I'm but not you saying, can bet your life they've got ingredients... I have. ...which are specific. So have I. I think we all, I think we can all plead guilty to that sin. But, but I think you can bet your life that they they've got they've probably got someone in a in a in a laboratory coming up with a little thing that you can stick in that burger that's going to get those kids addicted to it. If we're talking like the most beneficial food for you, is a vegan yeah. diet? Um, I, well, I've never been to the doctor. The doctor's never said to me, Graham, you've got to eat more red meat. No, or, no, I know, Graham, I know, Graham. Have you had like cheese today? No, kids and all that. Has it got all the right um, amino acids, etc.? I, I, I don't know. I've been vegan for more than 20 years. I mean, so, some so days... So you've got a child vegan yeah. from birth? Well, 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 I hear what you're saying, Duncan. I think that's a, that's a legitimate road to go down. I'd flip it on you. Why would you feed a baby, a human baby, 
calf milk. Well, it needs calcium for its bones, etc. Where, yeah. where are you going to get those? I'm just asking. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know. It's just no, a question. No, 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 wait, wait for wait. Spinach has got more calcium than, than exactly. So, so we obviously we've grown up with the the, the drink a pint of milk a day or, or whatever it was. We've had uh, food uh, marketed at us since we were kids in very simplistic terms, and we've been, as, as Pasco said, culturally, we we we've just. We, we've been eating what we've been given and the food that our parents gave us we, has turned us into healthy adults and so why should we question what we've been given has, has, our, has our diet changed in, in the last over the last few generations or are we in the same stuff that our great-grandparents ate well, well it, it, it does change what I'm asking though is the vegan diet sufficient for um, children adults etc and if it is sufficient is it f- sufficient with products from just their country because you know these sort of things we're talking about um, a better world less methane gas etc what about carbon footprint what about the movement of um, goods from country to country you know we might go oh it'd be great if we had some Brazil nuts from Brazil we ship them over but are we self-sufficient as a country I, I, are they self-sufficient in Iceland apparently they are though. But, I, I, um, I think that's a fair point and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I can't answer it because I don't genuinely know the answer to it but what I what I would say is that I'm pretty clear in my mind and from what I do know is that you can be extremely healthy and actually more healthy with a plant based diet. Um, but I do take the point about you know, you know we, unforeseen. What's uh, the most popular dish in the country? Apparently, it's um, curry. Yeah. yeah, curry and rice. Chicken biryani. Yeah. But we don't grow rice here in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. We grow um, rice in Europe. I mean, the, the Po Valley in Italy is famous for growing rice, some of the best rice in the world. Comes, yeah, comes uh, you know, I'm just thinking with well, movement of foods, we ship this yeah. here and there, we ship that but, there. But even, but you even, talked about Ethiopia earlier, shipping yeah, grain. Right, it's the right. same principle, yeah, I, even I, without I, any extreme... I think you've got to remember that any meat or any dairy that you have is likely to have been fed from with grain from the international market. So although it might say British beef, it doesn't say British beef fed from, fed with rice from from, from uh, China and grain from Canada and uh, barley from Ukraine it's just branded as, as as UK or British beef and and any meat that you eat or any chicken product that you eat no nobody is reminding you that that animal has been fed on imported grain okay. and so if you're worried about food miles really the only way to trace it is, is, is to go straight to the source and to eat the vegetable and then you can see on the packet if the green beans have come from Kenya or if the, I, uh, if the potatoes a, have come from I'm actually a person that looks at the, uh, these things if I buy fruit I like to see where it comes from not just because it interests me um, I'm sure you used to look if it, just to see if it came from South Africa a few years ago <laughs> and, and you, if it would come from South Africa you'd put it back on the shelf I'm sure because you're intelligent, you're an educated working class person. That's the sort of thing in, in a solidarity. Are you, are you having a wind up, Graham? No, I'm, I'm serious. We, you know, I used to I used to pick up food and go, oh no, that's South African. A few years ago, I mean, maybe it's showing my age now. But during the during the boycott of South Africa, I wouldn't eat that. And and I learned in, in those days to pick up and to and to look at the uh, the, the source of the, the the source country of the food that I'm eating. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, without wanting to digress too much, I think I'd agree that that was, that did learn me to think about looking at the source of food. But if I'm honest, I'd say for the average working class person, I don't think they'd give a monkeys about that. Fair, fair play. It's just my thought. Yeah, but they could do. They could do. They could yeah. do. They could yeah. do. Yeah. It's about education. Yeah. And, and, and I just want to go back to your point exactly on that about rice. So again, you're saying, and I'm not disputing that, that it's the most popular dish. 
it's because we've been told that, we've been culturally. Can you have curry with something else? Can you have a different way of thinking about these things? It doesn't have to be rice, you know. I, I think I think we can do anything like that. It's just a, it's just a question of education and national will. And um, as Graham's as Graham said, um, it's, it makes sense um, not to feed animals with grain, but for us the us to feed ourselves, we just it's an unnecessary part of the food chain. Um, and Bearing that in mind, if we're talking about logically, um, have you got some thoughts on GM foods? Because what I would say, if we're going to a logical conclusion with this, we want the, the we want to grow things in in the in the most environmentally friendly manner. Um, they're efficient to feed a massively growing population. What we're seven point seven billion now. I think the population has grown five billion in the last hundred years. It's something like that. Um, have you some thoughts on it, Graham? Yeah, I mean, you say uh, world population is seven billion. Uh, seven point seven, I think. Seven point seven. I think. I think there's seven seventy billion animals that are being fed in order to 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 put meat on our table and and to put milk in our glass. So, I mean, a GM food. Tell you the truth, I'm a bit cold on it. I don't. I I wish that more people would eschew animal products. Then we wouldn't need to uh, sort of run down the road of more intensive. Uh, food production. Well, we might in certain countries around the world. I mean, we're like in the privileged West here, but not not everywhere is uh, uh, has got the same um, growing conditions, same population in in respect of what they can produce. Well, that's interesting though, because if you take, I presume, you know, parts of Africa, presumably they've got much more potential to grow things, everything and anything. Well, they've they've got unrealized potential at the moment. Yes. Um, um, yes. I think there's a real problem that the poor people are having to grow food and then sell it on the market yes. so that rich people can, can feed it to animals and eat the animals. I think there's a real sort of class thing there in, across across a sort okay. of international working, I don't know, international working class, maybe in a, a sort of um, in, 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 in countries which are not industrialised. Maybe it doesn't exist in the same way, but the international poor all... all could easily live on a and probably do live on a plant-based diet but it's just this introduction of, of sort of capitalism and food politics which is taking food out, off of their plates and feeding it to animals that's uh, i mean a lot of the chickens now that we're having in or the, the, like the tesco te chicken sandwiches are grown in thailand and grown in places in the far east that don't enjoy the same sort of animal protection that, that we that we would expect for europe and uh I've got, you've got to wonder not just about the way those animals are raised, but where the food's coming from to feed them. Because we can be sure that there are hungry people out in that part of the world because it's such a big place. But that food's not feeding those people, it's just feeding those animals so that we can have chicken sandwiches. No, I, I agree I agree with you absolutely. Um, I mean, in the news this week, for example, we saw the death of uh, Carl Lagerfeld, didn't we, the, um, mm. the fashion designer. And then suddenly we're getting all these things talking about how many litres of water it takes to make a pair of jeans. Did you see that? Shocking. No, it's know. like, did you see it, Graham? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember what they quoted. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. about 24,000 litres yeah. or something Ridiculous. like that. It was something yeah. that you went, yeah. wow, yeah. what's that all yeah. about? Yeah. Um, and and this, is, this is another thing. Um, water supply. How much water do we need? If, we, if we're using water to uh, feed animals, yes. Um, and I've seen the stats on it, you know. Per kilo of uh, of uh, food, protein, veg, uh, carbohydrate, whatever, um, there's a water supply question. But it, there's also a, a similar thing with growing crops that they take up a lot of water in parts of the world that have no water. So again, 
what are the most efficient methods of growing things in these places. I think, you know, Israel is, is, is vilified in, in the press at the moment, rightly in some circumstances, but apparently they're really good on, um, on the water question because half of Israel, not half of it, the majority is a desert, and yet they're a net exporter of fruit. Um, and also water now, strangely, through right. right. looking at this thing scientifically. Now, I, I looked at your vegan website, Graham. I'm not saying it's your website. Vegan um, Society. Vegan Society, I apologise. Oh, yeah. It has a bit about uh, against eggs, against honey. There's also a picture of an eggplant on there. Now, just in, like, delicious recipes. I've just looked at it just oh, now. Oh, like an aubergine? I, yeah, an aubergine. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. Now, apparently... Uh, in Bangladesh, it's plagued by an insect that goes and destroys the crop. They've got a GM version of that, oh. and that has saved the crop, saved them on pesticides that they were spraying twice a day. And you see, they show the the uh, the, the pictures for this, and you've got some little kid with just the loincloth on covered in spray because he hasn't sprayed it properly, and yeah. it's not industrially done. Uh, and what I'm getting at again with this GM foods question is, if it if it can do good, if the scientists tell us that this is beneficial, we can feed the world easier, what, why are we being slow to adopt it? Or well, maybe, have you got some thoughts on it? Maybe because we don't trust the food scientists. 100%. I mean, I, I don't trust the food scientists. I don't trust... It's not just the scientists, but as I said before, actually, what's really behind this? Who's behind this? You well, know, there's someone thinking, how can I make some money out of this how can i exploit people through this that's always my suspicion all right i saw a ted talk on this and this was done purely on like humanitarian grounds um that bangladesh project there's another one on rice where the, the if the rice fields get flooded for three weeks the rice dies so they had genetically manufactured a rice that was could, could survive underwater for three weeks um again increasing the crop um there's some other there's there's certain deficiencies that you get in your diet if you've got a rice based diet. Yeah, I know this one's golden rice. That's it, golden. Yeah, was it uh, vitamin D or vitamin C yeah, that they yeah, can yeah. they they can put in it so the rice produces extra vitamins yeah. as well? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you haven't worded that correctly when you're talking about do we trust the scientists? Um, I think that the onset of science we've had we've had huge achievements um, in combating disease and this sort of thing. I don't think it's the scientists that are the problem. I think it's the people who own the food industry. But I did add, I did add you know, that rather than the scientists, because it's, it's how you're going to use it. They're pulling the strings, aren't they? It's how you're going to use it. But yeah. you know, um, it seems to me that um, a, a lot of these things can be very beneficial. And we were talking about plant-based foods. They, I've been reading this. We're not too far off having a salmon-flavored banana. You know, for example. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> you know, if if you like these sort of things. But what's wrong with that? We talk. You, you talked about famine earlier. We talk about an Irish potato famine. You've got a different form of potato being genetically modified. It's not going to have that blight. The famine would not take place. I yeah. mean, there, there, there is a movement in, in a vegan society that if, if because you're choosing what you're eating, you're, you're, you're making a conscious choice about what you're going to eat. And it's a real empowering thing. Mm -hmm. So whether, whether you're, uh, you, you come from a minority uh, community in, in the UK or whether you come from a community that isn't very wealthy or you yourself is... is working poor or whatever but you can make a choice about what you want to put in your body and that's that's really empowering that 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 is uh, i mean that that can make you happy by defining your own uh, parameters about what you will put up with and what you won't put up with what what you will accept and what behavior you won't accept what you will eat and what you won't eat is a, is a real method of self determination no member of the animal kingdom ever did a thing to me so I don't need red meat or white fish.
thank you for listening to me, Pascal Sawyers, and to Duncan McDowell on the Enlightened Working Class. Thank you for spending your time with us. And uh, we look forward to being with you again for the next episode when we'll be putting the world of politics, technology, education, etc., etc., to rights. See you then. Oh,